Hey everybody and welcome to the Daily Objective. Uh, it's me and Daniel today. Rousey's off traveling the world, so he's left everything in our hands. Let's all hope it doesn't fall apart. Um, our topic today is we're talking about Elon Musk and his views on the war in Israel. Um, he made a couple of comments online, but then he's also uh, went on the Lex Freedom podcast a few days ago where he gave his views and we're, we're going to talk about that and then about the role of social media in the war in Israel in Palestine just in general. Um, but first, I'm just going to start with our normal <clears throat> news roundup. So it's day 38 of the war. Um, interestingly, yesterday, the official death toll of the attack on the 7th of October was lowered by Israel's foreign ministry. The original uh, figure had been 1,400 people were killed. It's actually just been lowered to 1,200. Uh, the rationale for lowering it hasn't actually really been very clear, but it, I presume just some of the deaths were people they've either found have been taken hostage origin, um, by Hamas or people who they believe are dead, who it turns out haven't been. They perhaps also people who are missing. Um, the other thing that's happened kind of tangentially to the what that's happened in the UK is that the Home Secretary for the UK government, Suella Braverman, has been sacked by Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister. Um, this was in the lead up to some protests which were taking place on Remembrance Day on the 11th of November that, uh, this year. Um, and these were pro-Palestine protests and Suella Braverman had been putting pressure on the Metropolitan Police to intervene and cancel the protest. And then when they refused to do so, um, she had written an unauthorized article uh, in one of the British newspapers saying that they showed favoritism to certain causes and not others. And she'd been very much wanting to stop all expressions of pro-Hamas sentiment under hate, uh, hate speech laws. And this has effectively been a kind of public relations disaster. It's led to her being fired as Home Secretary. Um, a man called James Cleverly, who was the Foreign Secretary, has now taken her place as Home Secretary. And then in a kind of move that nobody expected, the former Prime Minister, David Cameron, had been brought in and he's been made the Foreign Secretary. Um, in a kind of strange move, because normally members of the government are made up of members of the House of Commons, which he isn't anymore. He's actually a member of the House of Lords. And it's very uncommon for members of the House of Lords to assume the kind of top three positions in government. But I suppose Rishi Sunak had decided that he needed a kind of safe pair of hands to come in and help deal with this issue. But that's but the root of all this kind of reshuffling that's going on in the British government is to do with the conflict in Israel and Palestine. Um, and then just the final thing. Benjamin Netanyahu, it's a nightmare of a name to say, um, has made comments that as the war in the northern border of Israel and Lebanon has been escalating, um, he's made comments that first they're going to deal with Hamas and Gaza. So he wants Hamas to be completely dealt with and Gaza to be made secure before he goes, and goes north and deals with Hezbollah. Um, so they're basically going to be kind of retaliating and but keeping things at level footing and not going further into Lebanon uh, until they've dealt with Hamas. And so that's the news for today. Um, Daniel, why don't you start us off? What is Elon Musk, what is Elon's, Elon Musk's position on the war? And you know, what has he been saying and how have people reacted to it? So from the research I have done and you can oftentimes see it with Elon Musk. He doesn't really have any like radical position. Oftentimes he's very either 
kind of playing both sides. Like on one side, he says, uh, maybe I can quote him specifically, but like on one side, he says like Israel has to deal with Hamas threat, like has to, if it finds any Hamas members, uh, it has to kill them or it has to, uh, you know, imprison them or do something about it. On the other side, he's very much like, oh, there should be Israel should be very careful the way it approaches it should completely limit or like make the civilian casualties uh very small and the justification he used uh is also been interesting i guess would be the word for it uh, the the way he uh argued for it is the the way hamas attack and the the atrocities it uh, committed was to basically provoke an Israeli response so Hamas could rally the Muslim world uh, against Israel. And that's why uh, it said Israel should be very, uh, you know, easy uh, when, when it goes to, you know, when it goes to Gaza. Uh, I have a couple more things to say, but what do you think? Yeah, so I was really shocked by this. Um, again, perhaps this is me being naive, but I broadly have quite a positive view of Elon Musk. Um, I kind of always temper it because he's very erratic. He's prone to making comment, wild comments that kind of come from left field and to kind of really kind of silly behavior. Um, his sense of humor, you know, isn't one that I kind of, it's not that I don't find these things funny, but kind of a man in his position and who's doing some of the things he's doing involved and some of the things he's involved with should be kind of more serious just generally. Um, but for example, I have quite a positive view of him for his support of the truckers strikes in Canada um, and for kind of some broad statements he's made about the role of government in the U S and for his kind of pro business attitude and so on and so forth, some kind of things like that. And so he went on to Lex Friedman and <clears throat> I think the episode was posted three days ago. And if you go listen to it, um, he makes very clear that he is against Israel doing what it's doing, um, that he would like um, a ceasefire in effect. And he justifies it by saying that, you know, Hamas wanted to provoke Israel into an overreaction, which is why I suppose he understands the current conflict to be. Um, which I don't, I think one, I take objection straight away with the idea of it being an overreaction. I think, you know, people acting in a warlike way towards you, going to war against them is the perfectly, you know, people use this idea of proportionality. That is actually the proportionate, just thing to be doing, even if proportionality is not the right way to think about it. It's the rational, logical thing to do. I don't think it's an overreaction. And then he said that what Israel should be doing instead, I think he's, the phrase he used was engaging of the most overt act of radical kindness possible. Um, uh, engage in the most conspicuous acts of kindness possible. Yeah. And so this is just bizarre in my mind as to why he thinks that is a good idea. Um, because he, as far as I'm aware, he isn't a Christian and he doesn't accept that kind of logic. If this were coming from the Archbishop of Canterbury, I would understand where he's coming from in saying this. I think he's wrong, but I'd get where that's coming from. And I suppose it has to do you know, if his premise is that Hamas wanted to provoke Israel and that Hamas was expecting an aggressive response, therefore you shouldn't do what the immoral party of Hamas, which he does, he does agree. He says, you know, he thinks Hamas is bad and 
so on and so forth. You shouldn't do what they want you to do and therefore you should act in a kind way, I guess, in a reverse psychology kind of way. Um, and he goes on to say that Israel, for every single person, that every civilian that Israel kills in Gaza, you know, this is going to be one more son that doesn't go home to a mother, one more um, father who doesn't come home and so on and so forth. And this is going to generate, I think he basically said, you know, two more anti-Israeli militants in the future. So I think that's ridiculous, utterly ridiculous, um, because it isn't like people haven't made these kind of arguments before. Um, so when Christopher Hitchens was around, who when I was a teenager, I was a big fan of, one of the things that he used to get was this kind of response when he would kind of argue for the war in Iraq. And people would say, well, look, by, by intervening in the Middle East, we just create more terrorists, more people who want to do us harm. And he used to have this line where he'd say, our resistance to evil isn't what causes it. And on, on the reality show, we're going to be talking about that. What is the cause of Islamic terrorism? So I don't want to spoil that too much. But he would say, yeah, um, it isn't our resistance to evil that is the cause of evil. Um, and it's the kind of masochistic implication that we are the cause of our of our own enemies. We bring it on ourselves, in effect. And that is, I think, basically his position, that Israel has to kind of be nice and placate um, their mortal enemy. Otherwise, they just bring it on themselves. He didn't say it in that language, but I think that's basically what he believes. And I think this is you know, disgusting. I think it's an evil thing to say. Um, I think it's a stupid thing to say as well. I think that a man of his intelligence shouldn't be saying things like that. It isn't like it's beyond his, um, I was going to say Ken, but his, his mental ability to realize that there's something really wrong about that. Um, so, so Daniel, I mean, what did, you, what did you make of those comments, Daniel? So when I'm listening to people like Elon Musk, it always feels like, like they are living in the future, but when it comes to things like this, things like war, it feels like they are living, you know, in the Middle Ages when what war was basically, you get soldiers from one side, you get soldiers from the other side, they go to a field, they fight, and whoever wins, wins the war, and that's it. And, you know, no, or like minimum of civilians are, uh, a minimum of civilians have, uh, been deceased or, yeah. or something. Uh, sorry, someone walked in, so I'm a bit. Uh, give me like a five second. Okay. So I mean, this I'm anticipating what Dan is going to say a bit, but this kind of connects to something that I've mentioned before. That I guess people have this view that war takes place on a battlefield, and there's this kind of. I kind of really oppose the idea that there is such a thing really as a battlefield, i.e. just these two naked planes where one army lines up on one side and one lines up on the other. They just kind of aim their guns at each other, shoot, and whichever one falls down first is the loser. Um, you know, battles, even in the times of the ancient Greeks, which he mentions, and I guess we could say a little bit about the kind of strange comparisons to ancient Greeks he makes. Even in the times of the ancient Greeks, even though there weren't there wasn't artillery in the same way that we have artillery which obviously is going to be be very effective on civilians see you know cities and towns were sacked um wars were often won in the sackings of capital cities in which case civilians often were killed um now in those cases unjustly but sometimes perfectly justly as well just in the sense that they were 
kind of in the way or didn't weren't able to get out in time or if it were siege tactics a siege tactic involves starving out your opponent and the military is going to take all the food for themselves so the civilians very often starve um so i was just kind of anticipating the point you were making there daniel um but what but go on what were you saying yeah i i think uh yeah i, I think you pretty much caught it and we have seen like uh you know after the enlightenment we have seen the first times of like this idea and i'm wondering how much it's actually related this is the first time i'm thinking about it uh but we have seen the first time of this kind of total war bringing the war to the kind of civilians that or actually bringing it to yeah kind of total war you can think of the american civil war and uh general sherman who was unapologetic unapologetically went into the south destroyed in, in infrastructure this destroyed s- a- a- anything that uh basically supported uh the war effort uh of the south and the same thing we saw we, we have seen with you know germany and japan they were no although not now making that claim but i i don't know of any like revanchist movements in japan or germany that are now going after america because of what it did uh the way to get rid of these enemies the, the way to get rid of amas is actually to identify it completely go in and destroy the quickest way you can uh i don't think it's this way of going you know slowly uh making this war draw for as long as humanly possible just so you you don't offend them i mean i yeah well i think something else that he kind of that he said was that he thinks hamas is bad and he thinks that israel does have a justification to go and destroy the hamas leadership um and perhaps to some people that would mean he's kind of at least making paying lip service to the moral side of things. But actually, I think it just because one of the points he goes on to make is that there are a few people in the West who understand the horrors of war. And he mentions his grandfather, who was a veteran of the Second World War, and how this man had you know deep, deep PTSD. And there are a few people in the West anymore who understand the horrors of war. He thinks that there are veterans of, there are people involved in Russia and Ukraine right now who are really seeing and experiencing it. But most of us simply don't understand the horrors of war. And therefore, I presume his position is that we're therefore too willing to want to go to war or to be supportive of wars. Um, But there's something wrong about that as well. Um, So why does that reveal this existential lack of understanding because if you are to go in to destroy hamas that hamas leadership who put themselves in the civilian population who put their headquarters into hospitals under schools in apartment buildings and so on and so forth how on earth do you destroy the hamas leadership without then going on and do the things which he he deems an over um an overreaction like you you can't basically um the only way that you could even feasibly think about doing it would be to send soldiers in and to put a huge number of their lives at risk and basically to accept huge losses of your own soldiers. And I think what's lacking from his perspective there of many things is the perspective that that's not what Israel's government's job is. Their role as a government is to protect their own soldiers. Their soldiers are their own civilians, their own citizens, not civilians, I guess, they're their own citizens. 
and they should have they should value their citizens lives paramountly they should be a top value for them and putting them in to combat in a way that they're going to die in disproportionately high numbers compared to if they send artillery strikes drones whatever um, that's evil for israel's government to do so i think he really doesn't even understand what he's talking about and he's coming at it with this bizarre pseudo-christian moral perspective of turning the other cheek and it's it's really disappointing to see and i really wish that someone as brilliant as him who can voice i think good opinions on things sometimes i think i would i wish he would have a good perspective on this um just because he could be a, he can be at times a really great symbol of kind of of good things when he's voicing his opinions like his kind of anti-lockdown opinions i like i really felt like very strongly about that and when he was going to leave Cal take his factories away from california because they were trying to impose certain uh, you know lockdown regulations on him and he was going to open factories in the uk um i thought wow here's an impressive guy who not only kind of seems to have a right perspective on certain ideas but is actually living them in reality and he was such a great symbol in that and to see symbols torn down like this um is such a shame and actually and well there's another topic I'll bring down, bring up on top on symbols being torn down. But um, do you have anything to say, Daniel? Before I go on to say what I was going to say. Uh, yeah, maybe just to uh, also comment on that. So we, so this is not just a hatred for uh, or on Elon Musk. Uh, yeah. While I've been researching and I've been like looking up at news, a lot of stuff I found uh, like non-relating to conflicts. Uh, have been pretty good. Uh, have been really good. Uh, I I saw there's apparently be, been some like world record in the m amount of like, uh, uh, things like brought into space, uh, by SpaceX and things like that. So there's definitely. I mean, he's still like a great person. That I I think that's why it it makes it even more sad the fact that uh he he's he's oftentimes wrong on these things, uh. Another thing I, I wanted to point out is like the important, like I've been noticing it a bit more in recent, I guess, months, maybe even a year, like the importance of language and how much like context matters. Because, yeah, you could say, well, yes, uh, Hamas should be destroyed uh, and civilians uh, or like civilian lives should be spared. There's nothing technically wrong with either of those sentences and you shouldn't really disagree with both of them but you're yeah. dropping so much context when it comes to war especially this where uh i mean let's say you want to target uh like hamas military uh, base or something well you can't because there's no such thing all of their bases all their headquarters are under either hospitals or some other kind of civilian buildings or infrastructure so there is no way that you could mm, just attack Hamas without unfortunately uh, not targeting but uh, having some casualties on the civilian side also yeah well well exactly and it's not even and so the part of the libel that goes on against Israel is that people accuse the Israelis of targeting civilians I guess for the sake of it, like as in they are deliberately going out of their way to 
kill civilians as a psychological tactic to bring her further into the war. Now, as as terrible well, as uh, that is... J- just quickly, I'm, I'm not sure how much people who say that even think it's like a psychological thing, rather than straight up, you know, Israel wants to genocide Palestinians. A lot of them, I, I think a lot of them are closer to that claim that, than the psychological one. That's, okay, yeah, I think that's a fair point. I suppose so. Um, I, yeah, because you do get a lot of allegations of genocide going on. Um, but you, but okay, what I was going to say is that I don't think we should, as terrible as it is, I don't think we should discount the idea that a just military can target civilians in war. That's what a lot of governments in the Second World War did, for example. And it's a it's a serious consideration as to whether that's a good thing to do, like a justified thing to do, and also whether it's even effective. But um, I'm digressing well, a little bit. Maybe just to point it out, uh, or, or like when there is a war, and especially when there is a total war, there is very little distinction between civilian infrastructure and military infrastructure. You could have a factory that's completely operated by civilian uh, civilians, and they might be producing something, you know, civilian kind of infrastructure, maybe trains or something. Well, to what extent is the production of these trains supporting the war effort? Uh, It's hard those are hard decisions to make but your goal should always be to end the war the quickest way you can uh well, yeah and so i guess to bring a background to elon musk because one of the things that he says in the podcast is that he's obsessed with military history and he said there's there's very few battles that he's never read about and so on and so forth and he goes on to make a kind of strange comparison to the wars of ancient greece and the thinking of ancient Greek writers on war. Um, and the only reason I put out that it's strange is, isn't because there aren't valuable things that you can get from ancient Greeks. Um, objectivists talk about the value of ancient Greek writings all the time. But just because he doesn't, I think, successfully really connect it back to the topic at hand. So I think it shows a kind of something disorganized in his own thinking. But let's take him at his word and say he's read a huge amount of military history. If he's read a lot of military history, although that's not going to be like an ethics war textbook per se, he's going to lo- know a lot of the way that wars have been fought in the past. And I find it strange that if he's read all that, he can't understand that it isn't just because humans have been barbarians for most of our history, but because that's the nature of war. That's how you have to fight a war. Um, and that the way the Western nations have been fighting wars for the past 30 years is disastrously mistaken. Um, so, throughout all of his comments on the podcast, at least what I thought was it belied, his comments belied the fact that he was lacking understanding of what he was talking about, although he seemed to think that he knew what he was talking about. And I don't claim to be the most knowledgeable person on war or the ethics of war at all, although we've been talking about it a lot on the channel recently. Um, But his comments sounded much more like the comments of not someone who was a brilliant billionaire intellectual entrepreneur, but the comments of the average person in the street who never really has thought about this, but is getting dragged into it anyway, and is voicing a kind of ignorant opinion informed by a loose kind of Christian cultural moral standing where, oh, Israel should turn the other cheek. Um, and that kind of pacifism, I think, is is really immoral. People who preach non-resistance to evil and even that you should be nice to evil. You should be nice to the evil people who are trying to destroy you. I think it's terrible. And it's a 
you know, I'm repeating myself now, but I think it's a real shame. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we need to wrap up in a couple of minutes. So first, uh, let me thank uh, Bonnie for a super chat. She's been super chatting every day. And thank you, Jonathan. I believe Jonathan has also been super chatting every day yeah. or at least every other day for a while now. So thank uh, both of you. And yeah, I, I was about to say when you mentioned his opinion seemed uninformed or, or sort of like an average person. Yeah, there's definitely... Like people should be able to say, I don't know. And it, it shouldn't be like something out of ordinary. Uh, I, I'm not sure if, if, you know, he is well read on this conflict or war in general, or if he's not. Uh, but if he's not, I, I maybe you should just say, you don't know. Yeah, there's actually, I think there's a lot more dignity in saying, I don't know, than people who pretend to know about things that they don't know about. Um, you meet a lot of those people when you're a teenager. And I remember thinking of those people that there's something sort of like cringingly embarrassing about posturing that you know about things which you don't know about. Um, but, and so on that point, I'm running out of things to say, so I don't know anything more else to go on about. Um, uh, we can wrap up. I think it's about time. Uh, in two minutes, we have uh, the reality show uh, maybe you can mention just generally what it's going to be about while I pull out the link. Yeah, so the central topic is going to be the causes of Islamic uh, radicalism, Islamic terrorism, if you want to call it that, um, and the kind of view that people propose, which is not wholly dissimilar from Elon Musk's view, that um, the causes of Islamic terror is not Islam. It's cultural, it's political, or it's Western foreign policy inviting reprisal. Um that kind of thing. And then also I've just um, scheduled onto the docket a secondary topic of Ayan Hirsi Ali's conversion to Christianity, um, which maybe we'll have a little time to talk about as well. Well, thank you, Morgan, so much for joining me today. And uh, we'll be back in about a minute and a half with the reality show. Link is in the chat. And also we'll be back tomorrow. I believe we already have a topic, uh, so it might get scheduled today. Thank you, everyone, and bye-bye.